You may be seated and turn your attentions to the screen. This is my Bible. For centuries, leaders and tyrants, kings, queens, and even entire countries have tried to ban it and even destroy it. And yet the Word of God prevails today. There are roughly 1,200 pages spread over 66 books written by over 40 different authors. The Apostle Paul taught Timothy that all Scripture, all of it, every bit of it, is God-breathed, that it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible. Do you read your Bible? Statistics tell us that 60% of church-going Christians read their Bibles less than four times a year. How can this book be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path if we don't read it. Have you ever heard someone teach on every book of the Bible at church during one calendar year? I haven't. 66 books in 52 weeks out in the world. Well, I'm very excited to announce that in 2024, we're gonna do that here at New Hope. I've never even heard of a church doing that before. A book a week, and obviously sometimes a couple of books in one week. I also felt the Lord challenging us as a church here at New Hope. So during 2024, I want you to join me on this journey. And I'm gonna ask you to do three things. Number one, bring your Bible to church when you come every Sunday. A physical Bible, not your phone, not an iPad, but a physical Bible. The second thing I want to ask you to do is commit to reading God's Word every day. You say, well, I don't have time to do that. Yes, you do. Even if it's just one verse, read the Bible every single day. The third thing I'm going to ask you to do, and this is for the few that want to be really challenged, and that is, I want to ask you to read the Bible in a year. The entire Bible, cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, will produce daily devotions. I'm going to be recording a weekly podcast with other local pastors digging deeper. We're going to sing a classic hymn. Yes, a hymn, an old song. We'll also be offering electives that you can sign up for throughout the year. We are in the process right now of developing a website, thisismybible.io. This will be a great space that will house all of the messages, podcasts, devotionals, and other resources from this series, including some cool merch that we're developing right now. 2024 is gonna be an amazing year here at New Hope. A new book every single Sunday. So let's get in God's Word like never before. All right. Good morning, church. <laughs> All right. I am Pastor Jason Hensley. I am the children's pastor here at New Hope. And if you are joining us online, I want to say thank you. Welcome. It's going to be a really good Sunday. So today marks week two of our Holy Moments series. And what we're doing is we are marching through the Christmas story, and we are looking at the different holy moments. There it is. 
uh, the different holy moments that define the characters and the Christmas story. Last week, we looked at a radical moment of obedience from Joseph uh, with Pastor Rick, and this week, we're going to be doing something very similar. You see, for a time, uh, the Roman kingdom, the predecessor to the Roman Empire, the Roman kingdom went through uh, different rulers and different kings before, for a variety of reasons, it switched to a republic. Then the Roman Republic, uh, for a time, uh, gained more land, and for a variety of reasons, it, uh, it became the Roman Empire. Then that Roman Empire, for a, well, a variety of reasons, it, it saw peace for a time, until, for a variety of reasons, it didn't. It saw some civil strife. Eventually it split, and then, it, for a variety of reasons, it dissolved. Yeah. Well, you see, here's the thing, is everything that I said is accurate. That is, that is the history of the Roman Empire. But speaking only in phases and eras, that doesn't tell us anything about what's happening or why it's happening. As Pastor Rick mentioned last week, we like to talk about life and we like to think about life as happening in phases and epochs and eras, when in reality it happens in moments. You can't understand Rome without understanding its emperors, its assassinations, its elections, its conquests, all of it comes together to tell us how Rome was Rome. And today is no different when we look at the story of Mary learning about the fact that she's going to become the mother of the Messiah. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Luke 126. Luke 126, and, and when you open there, what we're going to see today is a moment of surrender from Mary that affects not just her, it doesn't affect just her hometown, not just Israel, not just Rome, it affects the whole world to come. And as you turn there, I want to preface this story that if you were raised in the church, you've heard a whole lot with this. What does surrender look like? What does it look like? That's the question that I want us to really hone in on today. What does surrender look like? Is it a white flag in the wind? Is it us sticking our hands up? Is it us quitting? Is it giving up? Well, here's the issue with seeing godly surrender in any of those lights, in any of those descriptions, is that they denote weakness. And what we know is that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. When we surrender to God, we are admitting our weakness, and we are letting him work through us. Admitting our weakness is not weakness. It is, in fact, the beginning of godly strength. Let's read, starting on verse 26. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. You see, for context, where we pick up here in this part of the story is shortly after Gabriel has shown up to Zacharias and said, Hey, your wife Elizabeth, she's going to give birth to a baby boy named John. Now, this is interesting for two reasons. First, Zacharias and Elizabeth, they were older in age. And on top of that, Elizabeth was known to be barren. So on two accounts, the baby John was going to be a miraculous birth as well, made to happen by God. But that's, that's not the part that I want to focus on for a moment. The part that I want to focus on in the story of Zacharias is the first time that he meets Gabriel. If you jump up to verse 11, Luke 1, 11, we'll read this. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. What we see here is a clear indication that Zachariah, when he saw uh, Gabriel for the first time, 
there was something about, his, about him. There was something about his stature, his, his appearance that frightened Zechariah. It, it gripped him with fear. And this isn't the only time that we see something like that. If you jump back to Daniel in Daniel 8, we read this. While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man. And I heard a man's voice from the Ulai calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Once again, we see an appearance of Gabriel to his recipient, somebody that he has a message for. And before Gabriel says anything, they are terrified. They are shaken to their core. And what's interesting, too, if you think about it, once to a prophet, Daniel, and once to a priest, Zacharias. These are two people who would have been intimately familiar with spiritual matters shaken to their core by this angel. But Mary's response is a little different. If we, if we, if we continue reading back, uh, back ahead of 26, we read this. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Isn't that weird? In both other accounts, these two men are shaken by the appearance of Gabriel, but Mary isn't so much worried about the appearance. She's worried about his words, about his greeting. There's something baffling about his greeting. And what's interesting to me about that is before Gabriel even finishes speaking for the first time, before he says anything about Jesus, he says one of the best things that anybody could ever hope to hear. He says, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. And then he lays it on a little thicker. He says, blessed are you among women. Now, okay, ladies, correct me if I'm wrong on this one, but if an angel of the Lord appears to you one day and he says, rejoice, highly favored one. Blessed are you among women. The Lord is with you. It, it, that's gonna be, a, it's gonna make your day. Yes or no? I'm, I'm saying that's a good day right there. That is, of course, I mean, if you believe it. That is, of course, if it adds up. You see, part of me wonders if something that Mary was processing in that moment was, me? <laughs> no, who? No, he can't, be, he can't be talking about me, can he? And why is that? Well, I have a little illustration that might help us show a part of that. I have an aerial photo of downtown San Diego, if we could put that up. And it's centered over Petco Park. And what we know is this, is that archaeologists estimate that the entire town of Nazareth was somewhere between 10 to 30 acres. If we split the difference on that, we'll say and assume that Nazareth was 20 acres big. If we could overlay what 20 acres looks like on top of that, <laughs> it's really not that big. It barely fits one Petco Park in it. And if you've been to Petco Park, you know it's a nice park, but it's, it's not huge. We're not talking about a city. We're not talking about a town. We're not talking about a small town. At this point, we're talking about a village. In Israel, Nazareth had that reputation as being this small little place. And there are a few things more debilitating than feeling small. There are a few things that sap our strength that, than feeling small. And we live in San Diego here, so I'm, I'm willing to wager that for most of us, that doesn't really get us. It could, but for most of us, it might be something different. It could be our finances. It could be our circumstances. It could be our relationships. It could be where we are in life. It could be where we expected to be in life. There's a lot of things that if we allow them to, that'll make us feel small. It'll make us feel so inconsequential, we can't step into anything great. Me? No, come on. But what we're about to learn is that praises to God who lifts those up who humble themselves before him. Let's read on. 
Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and, uh, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, before we continue on, it's really important that we recognize what Gabriel is doing for Mary here. He's doing two things in this moment. Gabriel is first confirming, hey Mary, you're about to give birth to this child as a virgin. And Mary would come to understand that that's the fulfillment of Isaiah 7:14, which is a messianic prophecy. The other thing that he does here is that he confirms Jesus is going to be the one to inherit David's royal throne, which means that Jesus is going to bring about an unending kingdom. What Gabriel's doing here is he's saying, hey, the one that Israel's been waiting for, the Messiah, the Savior, it's happening. It's here. And, and Mary would have undoubtedly known about that. Let's continue on. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And that later serves to be Mary's confirmation of Gabriel's testimony. But watch this next part. Here it is. This is the moment of surrender that we really need to dial in on. It says, Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let me read that in the NIV because it's, it phrases a little bit differently. It says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. See, this is the moment that we see a level of surrender from Mary that we should aspire to. It's at this point that she's completely moved past whatever it was that was catching her about Gabriel's greeting. She's moved past that. And she is fully submitting herself to the will of God. Here's the thing. The moment Gabriel left, I have no doubt that Mary's mind was filled with, oh, wait, oh, oh, wait uh, what about this? What, what about that? What if? Wonders, questions. She knew that saying yes in this moment meant that she was going to have to take it up with Joseph later. She knew that saying yes in this moment meant imminent pregnancy, that her whole life was going to be flipped upside down. And it's from that that we can gather the final aspect of what godly surrender looks like. Godly surrender is constant. It's not just a moment in time. It's moments all the time. Let's talk about what surrender is. Point number one, surrender is humility. Surrender is humility. You see, as I mentioned earlier, I think that a, a large part of what caught Mary about Gabriel's greeting was, of all the people in the world, why would God choose me? That, what? That doesn't add up. I'm just this young woman from little old Nazareth. But what we see in the Bible is that God is looking for people just like that. In, in the 51st Psalm, David writes this. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Then in Matthew, Jesus himself says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, what we see in God choosing Mary and the character of God in these verses is that when God is looking for somebody to make things happen, when God is looking for a mover and a shaker, uh, he's looking for somebody who either sees himself in a position of 
complete humility before him, or, or he's about to help them find that position. Think of Moses. Think of David. Think of Paul. Think of Joseph. These are all people who either already thought very lowly of themselves when God came to them, or they responded to God's calling in extreme humility. Mary wasn't chosen because she was from a hustling, bustling city like Jerusalem or Rome. She wasn't chosen because of her stature or her wealth or her pride. We aren't chosen because of our bank accounts. We aren't chosen because of where we're from, how much we weigh, who we know, where we are, how how many great kids that we've brought up. We aren't chosen because of anything inside or outside of our control except this, that when we were hearing about Jesus Christ for the first time, there was something about it There was something in us that knew that we were hearing about the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we humbled ourselves before him. That's all it is. That's all we can do. That is what godly surrender looks like, is humbling ourselves before Jesus. And Mary was able to do that. Mary was able to submit to God because she knew God as God. Which brings us to number two. Surrender is submission. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, there's more to the prayer, but that's really the part that I want to dial in on for a moment. Your will be done. Not ours. His. Uh, let, me, let me echo the words that Mary said when, when, when Gabriel finished revealing that Christ was coming. She said, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. You see, because Mary God knew God as God, she was able to submit. She knew that this plan that was being handed down to her, it was good. It was final. It was well thought out. It was thorough. She had questions of function, and those are okay. She said, God, how, how is this going to happen? And those are okay. Those are valid. But she never had questions of efficacy. She never said, God, are you sure this is going to happen? That, that wasn't on her mind. She, God, are you, did you really think this through? I mean, there might be a better way to go about this. That wasn't, that, that wasn't her question. You see, when she had her answers, she submitted to the will of the Lord. It makes me wonder, how many times have we prayed for something and gotten bitter? We just kind of gritted our teeth and said, well, okay, there's always next time. Okay, whatever. How many times have we prayed for a change and got bitter when it didn't happen? Or more specific to the context of the message, how many times have we prayed for a change of calling? How many times have we prayed not to need to do something and then got bitter when that didn't change? See, I'm not saying that we shouldn't bring our worries and our cares and our circumstances to God. The Bible tells us that we should, but it also tells us how we should. In Philippians 4, 6, this is what we read. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. In everything that we bring him, we need to understand it's a request. It's a petition. It's never a demand. It's never a demand. We can ask and we can plead, but the moment that we have our answer, we need to echo Mary's words. I am the Lord's servant. May your words to me be fulfilled. <clears throat> what have we been praying on long after we got an answer? What have we been negotiating the terms on with God long after he stamped the plan? 
Is there anything in that, in, in our lives like that? Is there, is there something that we are holding on to so dearly and we can hear God talking on it and we, we, we know it's right and we know it's good, but we're still holding on to it going, uh, hoping that he's going to go, oh, <laughs> new development, good call, good call, let's do it your way. That's not how that works. Oh, <laughs> just kidding, that was the right play. No, that's, that's not how God works. It could be a relationship. No, God, no, don't, don't worry. I can change them. They will be the right person for me. No, or the inverse is also applicable. No, God, I can change. I'll be the right person for them. Don't worry about it. That's not how it goes. No, God, no, I, you know, I, I know you're calling me to stay where I am, but that job opportunity, that, I don't think you realize how much good I could do there. There's a lot of good there. And the inverse is also applicable. No, God, it, I think it's really good for me. I don't think I should stay. It could be your plans for after high school. It could be a wayward child or a family member and how you approach that. It could be a dream for the future, a pastime, a point of pride, our generosity. It could be our life. You see, if you, if you have something on your mind at this point, I want you to hold on to that for a moment. I want you to hold on to that as we go into this third and final point. And it's this, surrender is constant. Surrender is constant. Like I pointed out above, Mary knew that in saying yes at that moment, that it wasn't going to affect her just for a moment. It wasn't going to affect her just for a month, or nine months for that matter. It was going to affect her her whole life. And that was something that she was willing to step into. And for us, it's no different. Because when God is calling us to surrender, he's not asking us for a loan. He never asks for a loan. Everything that we have is on loan from him. He's asking us to give it back. And in his goodness and in his mercy, depending on what it is and the nature of what it is, he may choose to give it back at a different time. But he also may not. And that's why it's important to remember that there is a reason that Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves take up their cross, and follow me. You see, surrender is real, and it's constant. You see, we, we, we look to Mary today to see a prime example of what surrender looks like. And now I want us to take a moment to look at ourselves. So if you join me in prayer. Lord, I pray for everybody here going into this Christmas season. The time is busy and it's stressful, but you are a good shepherd. I pray that everybody is blessed with your peace by trusting in you and all things, Lord. If there's somebody here who's holding on to something, a stone that they refuse to flip, something that they need to surrender, Lord, that they need to listen about, that they need to follow through on, please show them clearly what it is and give them the strength and the conviction to take action. Lord, we know that your yoke is easy and your burden is light to those who take it on. Please bless those who take action with the peace of knowing that you care for us and that you will handle it so, so much better than we ever could, Lord. That they will be able to look back with gladness in their hearts for what you did in that thing. With every head, with every head bowed and eyes still closed, Lord, perhaps there's some who have not surrendered their life to you.
to Jesus for the first time. Maybe you hear about the freedom and the peace and the salvation, and you don't quite know everything, but you do know that you want Jesus Christ in your life today. This is an open invitation now to surrender who you are to Jesus. Ask him to be your savior and lead you in life. If that's you, I invite you to pray the following with me right now, either out loud or in your heart. Simply say it to God. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. If you just pray that prayer, the Bible tells us that there is a party going on in heaven right now. And with, I'm gonna encourage you right now that if you prayed that prayer, please, just raise your hand. There it is. If you, have, if you are raising your hand right now, that is an awesome thing. And we will have people up front who would love to hear about that, who would love to hear about your decision, and pray over you and talk about next steps such as baptism. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you guys. Um, have a great week. If I will be out front, I'll be, actually I'll be right out here at first. Love to talk to you.